0: Alrighty, you ready to get into God's Word? This is week two of a series I began last week, Red Letter Christians. We're talking about conversations with Christ from John's gospel. And uh, know from last week, we talked about the main theme of John's gospel found in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And it says Jesus performed many other signs than just the ones that we actually see written in John. And then he says, these signs are written that you might believe that. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing that you might have eternal life in his name. Let me tell you about a mate of mine. He... Uh Runs a a small country church and he needed to have three weeks out of the pulpit. But being a small church, he didn't really have a a lot of options for people to uh, fill the platform. So he asked a, a young adult if he would be able to do it. The young adult was honored and didn't want to let the pastor down. So he said, Yeah, yeah, of course I'll do that for you. The only problem was the young guy had never preached a sermon in his life. Came to the first Sunday. He got up on the platform, the microphone was there and you could hear his knees knocking like this. He was, he was so scared. He was unprepared for what he was about to say. And so he looked out at the congregation and he said to them, does anybody here know what I'm about to say? Well, they looked at each other and said, no. He said, well, good, neither do I, church dismissed. The next Sunday, he's got to get up again. Still quite uh, nervous, he developed this stutter and he said, does anybody here now know what I'm going to say? Well, they decided to change another tact and everybody said, well, yes. He said, oh, good. No need to explain it then. Church dismissed. Got to the third week, he stands up there, he's still no more prepared. Out in the community, people have been hearing about this young fella who getting up on the platform, a little bit strange, this guy. And so the church now was packed, and that made him even more nervous. He got up and developed the study. He said, does anybody know what I'm going to say today? Well, half of them put up their hand and said, yes. And the other half put up their hand and said, no. He said, oh, good. You who know, tell those who don't know, church dismissed i've been thinking all week what a great three week series hey eh? so does anybody know what i'm gonna say no. well you will in about 30 or so minutes all right but the great thing about it is it's really you know to be able to tell those who don't know those who do know tell them I think that's a great definition of evangelism isn't it yeah those of us who know the Lord need to be about telling those who don't know the Lord how they can look to the Lord and live that's the title of this morning's message we're going to look this morning at John chapter 3 verses 1 through to 15 Jesus said this in verse 7 You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And of course today, John chapter 3, we come to one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. You know, some people say that if the rest of the Bible was lost, there is enough truth offered in John chapter 3 to get everybody safely home to heaven. Most of you will know this famous chapter. John chapter 3. But how many of you have actually shared with others what they need to believe in order to be born again to eternal life and enter the kingdom of heaven? You know, in the gospel, there's not many times where Jesus insists on something. But here we find Jesus insists on three things that we need to do today. We must... The must of every sinner, the must of our Saviour, and the must of every saint. That's where we're going this morning. There are three musts in this chapter. So to look to the Lord and live, there is firstly a must for every sinner. I must be born again. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So I want you to understand, he was a a Pharisee, yeah? He was one of 6,000. He was uh, also a part of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. He was of the 70, the elite. This guy had such, he was a powerful person. Yeah? He was like a, a political leader and also someone who held a position on the Supreme Court. These guys had the religious authority over every single Jew anywhere in the world. This is the person we're talking about. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know. So he wasn't just the only one who held this opinion. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. What's the sign of that? No one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him these Pharisees, they were religious fanatics. They were nuts about keeping the law. They'd actually taken a solemn vow to devote every moment of their entire lives to upholding the Ten Commandments. They believed in upholding the Ten Commandments. They were living a life that was pleasing to God. And they took this very, very seriously. So seriously, in fact, that they didn't just take the Torah, but then they bought two other books, the Torah, And the Mishnah, and in these very thick books, they actually explain how you obey the law. For example, just one command obey the Sabbath. They've got 156 pages on how you are supposed to uphold the Sabbath. We know the Torah from last week, if you were here, Exodus 19. And from that, they actually expanded and believed that there were 613 extra laws that must be obeyed. The interesting thing about that is in the Hebrew, which is written, every letter in the Ten Commandments adds up to 613 letters that make the words of the command. So what they had there was they had... 248 thou shalt. things that you should do. And then they had 365 thou shalt nots. These are the things that you don't do, and if you don't do them, then you are a very good Jew. And so Jesus, sensing that Nicodemus was a man who was trying to do his level best to obey what God wanted, he immediately puts him straight. He says, you're wasting your time, thinking you can enter the kingdom of heaven that way trying hard to live by the law when you should be trusting in the Lord. So verse 3, Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you. Some will say verily, verily, or truly, truly. In the Greek it's amen, amen. When you see that written in the Scriptures, it should woe you up because what Jesus says right now is very, very important. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Have you ever had anybody uh, say to you, uh, Christian, eh? you're not one of them born again nutcases, are you? (laughs) Like there's some difference between a, a Christian and a born again Christian. If you are not a born again Christian, you are not a Christian. All of us need to be born again. It's the only kind there is. So in essence, Jesus is saying, doesn't matter how religious you are, doesn't matter how well-educated you are, doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how sincere you are. I mean, we know some people who are really sincere in their religion, but they are still sincerely wrong. Jesus says you must be born again. Famous pastor, John Wesley, he travelled through uh, England, Scotland, Wales, and that was his favourite topic preach on, everywhere he went he preached this message, you must be born again, people got sick of hearing it, one of them said to him how come you only preach on, you must be born again George Wendley's, he said because you must be born again sometimes uh, we got to get it into us, don't we folks, Nicodemus he knew his genealogy He knew that he was of the noblest of birth. He knew that he came from the finest of families to belong to. And sometimes, you know, people can come to church and they think because they come to church that they're a Christian. Sometimes uh, uh, people think that uh, uh, because uh, we're a a certain people group, we are Christian. Billy Graham, he uh, travelled through Ireland and he spoke to a man and he said to him, ''Are you a Christian?'' The man said, Mr. Graham, uh, uh, Ireland is a Christian nation, so I'm a Christian. Billy Graham said to him, not necessarily. I heard some kittens that were born in a bread basket. It doesn't make them bread. You must be born again. I'm sure people have spoken to you like this. They speak to me like that. Well, Andrew, uh, you know, my, my grandfather was a Methodist preacher. What's that got to do with it? (laughs) You see, somehow that's going to be enough. And that day when I stand before God, my grandfather. No, no, no. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. You must be born again. Folks, every day Nicodemus, he would have worked hard to perform these acts of kindness as part of his religion in order to earn his way to heaven. Some people think they can do that today, don't they? If I give enough money, if I do enough kind deeds, if I help the poor and the homeless, then I'm adding up brownie points in heaven. Folks, I want you to understand, the only spiritual wages that you can earn are the wages of sin and death. That's exactly what it says in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, that word should be highlighted, of God is eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, you can't work for a gift. You can't earn a gift. You don't uh, give your wages for a gift. It's a gift. All you can do is open that gift and enjoy the gift. So in verses 4 through to 8. Nicodemus says this, how can someone be born when they are old? Speaking of old, Sharon, Seniors Week this week. Seniors Week. And next week, we are going to honour our seniors as part of the life of the service. So make sure you're here for that next week. Oh, I can feel a pie in the face coming. Nicodemus said, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So, when Jesus told Nicodemus he must be born again, you want to notice here, he doesn't say, Why should I? Don't you know about my noble birth? He says there, How? Like he's thinking, man, this has blown my mind. How? How can I be born again? Have you ever tried keeping all the rules and all the laws? That is tiring. There's got to be a better way. How can this happen? Immediately he thinks of gynecology, doesn't he? How am I going to get back into my mother's womb and start life all over again? But a lot of people think like that today. A lot of people think, you know, if I could just go back to the beginning, things would be different. How many times has someone said, or even you've said, if I knew then what I know now, things would be different. Wrong. You see, ever since Adam listened to the devil and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in Genesis chapter 3, sin has been brought, and the curse of sin has been brought into the world on us So we're born, all of us, separated from God, physically into Adam's family, the kingdom of this world. But Jesus' son didn't enter the world the way we did. We've sung about it this morning, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So his blood is not tainted with sin and is able then to wash away our sins. Ever seen the game Family Feud? Yeah? You know, one family on this side, the other opposing it on that side. Yeah? And it's a good illustration that when we're born, we're born into the kingdom of this world. Yeah? We're in the devil's family. And it's not until we're born again that we enter into God's family and become a child of Him and into the other kingdom. So the only question to answer in this family feud is how do I get to be born again into God's family? And so from verses 5 to 7, we go from what... What I must do to how, Jesus explains, to do it. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. (sighs) Heard some funny whacked out ideas on what that means what does it mean to be born of water some people say well you see it's a it's an allusion to uh, a woman and when her waters break and then it's time for the baby to be born to enter into the world and likewise we need to go through the water in order to be born to enter the kingdom of heaven no Other people will talk very, very seriously about the importance of baptism for the washing. But baptism is not for salvation, is it? So, what are we looking at here? What we're talking about is being born of water and the Spirit. It's a reference to when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. It's the Word that washes us clean, and it is the Spirit that renews us. Have a look at Ephesians 5 verse 26, speaking of the church, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. For physical birth to occur... Man and a woman have to come together for conception, yeah? And the same flows that two have to come together to be born again. The Word rinses the old life, and the Spirit renews us in new life in Christ. In Titus 3, verse 5, we read, Jesus saves us through the washing of rebirth. That's the Word. And the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Folks, religion. Religion sort of thinks that I can earn God's favour as long as the good that I do outweighs the sin that I do. That's religion. Regeneration says Jesus' death on the cross forgives me. I don't need to balance it out. It's all about what he has done, not about what I do. Religion is trying harder. Regeneration is trusting him. That's what it means to be born again. Folks, it means that your past is forgiven. If your past is forgiven, then it's no longer going to be held against you. So you can look forward in hope, having only positive expectations of your eternal future. You cannot go back and start again. But you can receive Jesus Christ and be born again and have a glorious future ahead. But spiritual birth, it doesn't just happen. It's your choice. People have free will upon which to act. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he says these words, To all who receive Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Folks, being born again, it's not about um, uh, believing something in your head. It's about receiving someone in your heart. So we don't have a choice the first birth, do we? Sometimes uh, frustrated young people, they say, I didn't choose to be born in this family. No, that's exactly right. But you do have a choice about being born again. And so it's all about, again, using that sort of uh, birthing, it's all about the Word of God and the Spirit of God coming within you in the womb of faith. So we've got to choose to receive and believe in the gift of eternal life. We've got to admit that we've done something wrong that there's something not right within us. And then God does something that only God can do. He imparts his divine nature into us for eternal life. That's what birth is, isn't it? It's it's an impartation. It's a, it's a, a transfer of life. A woman and a man come together, yeah? And there's this imparting of those two people's lives into another human being. And when they do that... What happens is they make a physical life. And so when you invite, through the Word of God and the Spirit of God, someone, uh, uh, Christ into you, then you become a spiritual being. You remember right by, back to the start of the Bible, I think it's uh, Genesis 2, 7, yeah? And God breathed life into Adam and he became that physical being. And now... When you're born again, God breathes his Spirit into you that you might become that spiritual being out of the kingdom of the world and into the kingdom of God for eternal life. That's what it is to be born again. Next, let's have a look uh, to look to the Lord and live. There is a must for the Saviour. The the Saviour must be lifted up. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus said Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness So the Son of Man must be lifted up That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him Most of you would have uh, seen this sort of picture uh, This image, yeah? Uh, the sort of the, the pole with the snake Sometimes there are two snakes wrapped around the pole uh, It's called the rod of Asclepius Yeah? And he is the Greek God of healing. And of course, that's still used in medical circles today, yeah? But it actually originates all the way back to this passage in Moses. So Jesus is saying here, there's a connection between what Moses did and what I will do on the cross. Jesus refers to this unusual Old Testament Uh, event to illustrate what it is to be born again in numbers 21 verses 5 through to 9 the children of israel they've been taken out of slavery in egypt they're wandering in the wilderness god is providing for all of their needs every day they get manna from heaven but these guys had had a gutful yeah and they started to grumble against god We're sick of eating this miserable food, they said. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. You imagine God wasn't too happy with that. So in Numbers 21, verse 6, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. How many of you think, wow, I saw that God smites everybody dead for complaining. Would anybody be alive? What's it talking about here? It's talking about the sin of unbelief. They didn't believe that God could provide what they needed. and There's a lot of people who have been uh, bitten with the spirit of dissatisfaction in the world today. I think we live in a world today where people are more and more and more dissatisfied with their lives. If I had a scale and on this end of the scale it was uh, constant complaining and on the other side it was cheerful contentment, where would you be? But this reveals the deadly consequences of our sin. The truth about us is that we've all been bitten by the snake of unbelief. All of us have that sin. The deadly venom of unbelief is coursing through the veins of every single human being, and if untreated, it will end in eternal death, eternal separation from God. So, as the people were bitten by the snake, they started dying. So what did God do? God provided a cure by his grace, his love, and his mercy. He didn't remove the snake, the consequences. Sometimes when we sin, there are consequences to our sins. But he provided a cure. So powerful was the cure that it was served as a sign for the people of Israel for thousands of years, that there was something else that we need to look to in order to provide salvation from sin. It reads on, the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. When anyone was bitten by the snake and looked, at the bronze snake, they lived. So it's a graphic illustration that we need to point people to the cross. The snake is a, a symbol of the consequences of sin. Satan, you know the story. He slithered into the garden, didn't he? He tempted Eve. She was bitten by the toxic venom of sin. And all people have sinned and deserve death. But when Jesus is lifted up, he takes that venom into his being. He took the poison. He absorbed the punishment that we deserve. Jesus Christ is the cure. That's what we talk about, isn't it? He came at Christmas to die on the cross to be the cure for sin. So like the Israelites, to escape punishment, we've got to repent. We've got to say, hey, listen, my life's going in the wrong direction and I need to look to the Lord to be saved. So anyone who looks to the Lord can have eternal life. So when they looked at the serpent, God turned away his wrath. And that's what he does on The cross, yeah? You know, uh, two theological words, expiation and propitiation. Expiation is that by the cross, our sins are covered by Christ. Propitiation is what happened there in the desert. When When they looked at the snake, God turned away his wrath. Because Christ died on the cross, when we receive him, He turns away. The word you know is atone. He atoned for our sins. You break it in half, he makes us at one with him. So just as God called Moses to hold up the pole, we've got to lift high the cross of Jesus Christ because there are billions of people in the world who are bitten by the venomous poison of sin and will die in their sins unless they turn to Christ. The Israelites, they were bitten. They looked to the pole and they lived, but they still died. Because they didn't transfer the family heritage. You and I, we have an opportunity now through the cross to be pointing people. You know, some people will die in the consequences of their sin. I'm sure in the desert, people refuse to look at the answer to the poison going through their veins. Some of them would have said, I told you that God was no good! How many times do you point people to the cross and they deny the power? They deny the healing. They deny that they're sinners. That's a a free choice. Our job is just to continue to point them, to look to the Lord and live. Jesus says, everyone who believes, not the facts in your head about Jesus, but commits to trust Jesus in their heart will have eternal life in him. One of the things about eternal life, especially if you're young and you're young in the faith, that's not something that happens when you die. It's something that happened the very day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. So finally, to look to the Lord and live, there is a must for every saint. I must decrease. How many of you know that's a quote from John the Baptist? Right near the end of John chapter 3 and verse 30, he says these words, he must increase, I must decrease. Everybody uh, knows what a, uh, a motto is, yeah? It's a, it's a statement. Sometimes it's a statement of what you believe. Uh, it's, it can be a mission statement for a, a group, uh, a company, uh, a person, yeah? You know, if I said, uh, be prepared, the scouts, yeah? What about my favorite motto? Finger licking good kfc come on admit it you knew exactly who that one was if we've been forgiven of our sins if we're born again and we're in the kingdom i think this is a great motto for us all he he in me must increase i in sin must decrease so when you become born again when you become a christian you receive a new nature. I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians five seventeen uh, says the old is gone and the new has come. And sometimes we get a little bit confused, thinking, "Well, if the old is gone, then how come I keep on going uh, to sin?" Well, realize that you won't be sinless, but you will sin less. There should be evidence that you are born again, that the Spirit is now within you. In John chapter three verse eight, Jesus says this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. Just ask the Bureau of Meteorology. They know that. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You see, you you can't see the wind, can you? You can only see the results of the wind. You can tell me you're a Christian. I can't see the Holy Spirit within you but I can certainly see the results, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in you. St. Augustine was a, a a great man. He, uh, he lived in uh, Carthage in uh, 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 North Africa. Uh, before he became a, a born-again Christian, he was a bit of a scoundrel. He was a little bit promiscuous. He used to uh, visit all the prostitutes in the local area. Now, remember, this is about, what, 380 uh, AD, okay? And... Uh, When he became born again, one day he was walking down the road and one of the prostitutes saw him and she says, Oh, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. Augustine turned quickly and started going the other way and he said, Yeah, but it's no longer I. There was evidence of a changed life in him. Later, John would write these words, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. You see, when you're born again, suddenly there is this awareness that is awakened in you to sin. But it takes time. You know, I remember years ago, people used to believe that when you were born, you were what's called a tabula rasa. Heard that term? A clean slate. And you can be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do. And then we sort of developed this whole idea of DNA and how that works and and genes are passed on to us, aren't they? And yes, you can be something, but you can't be whatever you want. That's just impossible. And it is the same when we are born again of God. So a non-Christian sins because it's their nature. It's the only nature they've got. When you become born again and you receive the Spirit, now you have these two natures warring within you. Yeah, That's why you're not sinless, but you will sin less. Remember in our old church, uh, uh, I preached on sin one day reflecting on it this week and uh, there was a guy, he came up to me afterwards, I knew this guy for a few years and I knew him well and he uh, came up to me and he just completely disagreed with everything that I had to say about sin and he, and he said to me, he said, Andrew, he said, I haven't sinned in years and I said to him, well it's a pity you broke your streak he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well that's a bald faced lie right there you know people There's lots of things that we do that aren't right before God. Again, it's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done for us on the cross. But one of the things about the difference between when you are just out there in the world, you've only got the sin nature. There might be a little prick of your conscience that says, oh, that was wrong. But there is no right and wrong. There's only what we say is right and wrong. But when you are born again, you've got the spirit within you and it grieves you when you do the wrong thing against God. And that's one of the signs that you are born again and you repent and you turn away from your sin. The Greek word for seed is an interesting word. It's the word for sperma. And it actually means when you're born again, God has planted within each one of you something of his divine nature to help you grow in God. It's a little bit like when a baby's born. When a baby's born, it's not born a full adult. Ladies, aren't you glad about that? But within the baby has the full potential for it to become An adult. And so it is with people born again. We don't automatically witness huge amounts of victory in someone's life, but God has planted the seed for each one to grow and reach their potential. And that's what we see in people. Evidence, yes? A decrease of the kingdom of this world within them and an increase in the kingdom of heaven. John wrote these words, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. So Nicodemus, his life revolved around keeping the law. And he was no different to you and I. If you're going to try and keep the law, you are going to look for loopholes. But he knew in his heart that he couldn't do it and possibly be right with God. And so that night... Jesus came to him and led him to a decision that changed his life. Nicodemus heard the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And after that encounter, Nicodemus believed in his heart. He changed his behavior. We only hear of him two more times in the gospel. In John chapter 7, the Sanhedrin are trying to get rid of Jesus, and Nick steps up and he says this, Our Lord doesn't condemn a man without giving him a chance to defend himself. Suddenly he's speaking up in the presence of all these other men. He's speaking up for the truth of Jesus. That's evidence of being born again. Then in John 19, Nicodemus, Jesus is on the cross. He goes with Joseph of Arimathea. He takes the body down. He perfumes it and he places it in the tomb. Romans 10, 11 says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Folks, these are actions of a changed man. I think Nick could look back on his night with Jesus and say, That's it. That was the night everything changed and I became born again. Can you look back to that time in your life when Jesus came to you and everything changed in you? Have you looked to the cross of Jesus Christ to save you from sin? Have you been born again? Is the spirit of this world in you decreasing so that the kingdom of heaven might increase in you? Do you have eternal life in Christ? Well, now you know what I was going to say. That's the three musts to look up and live. Have you explained to anybody else how they can be born again for eternal life in the kingdom of God? Well, now I must conclude. You must decide what you are going to do with the message today. If you know, how about telling others who don't know? Church dismissed. Thanks, Cumberbatch.